Welcome to a brand new show on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. We're talking transfers. Who are the midfielders being linked with a move to Arsenal to replace Thomas Partey? We'll talk Eric Ten Hag, Jude Bellingham, the thriller in Naples, Fabio Grosso's horrific injury and more. It's the weekend debrief. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast for a brand spanking new show. I hope you've all had a smashing, smashing weekend. And as I say, we've got a brand new content strand for you. And it all kicks off today. I've been thinking about doing this for a little while, but it's finally something I've gotten around to putting a structure in place for. And I can't wait to bring you this on a weekly basis, as long as it's something that you guys want and as long as it's something uh, that you guys enjoy. Now, our match reaction podcasts tend to come over the weekend and we don't usually make you wait until the Monday. And so um, what do we bring you on the first day of the next week? We're not going to repeat ourselves and go over all of the same things. Of course, there'll always be more fallout from an Arsenal game a couple of days after and we'll make sure that we keep you right across that because predominantly, of course, and first and foremost, this is an Arsenal podcast. But going forwards, and again, only if you like it, we're going to bring you The Debrief, um, a show that will be Arsenal-focused, of course, but on which we'll also touch on the big stories from the Premier League weekend and beyond. So we're going to cover some big stuff from European football. We're going to talk a little bit about Eric Ten Hag. We're going to talk a little bit um, about whatever you guys want to bring up in the comments. This, the canvas is clear here, right? We get to basically just start with Arsenal, focus on Arsenal, of course, and everything we talk about and, and look at will be done through an Arsenal lens, of course. But we also get to just go off on those tangents um, that, you know, I love going off on. And I know that lots of you, like myself, are football people not just Arsenal people. Of course, we love our club and it's the number one for us and all the rest of it. But it is nice sometimes, isn't it, to just focus on other bits and pieces and other stories. I watch plenty of other football, as I'm sure you guys do. Now, once you've finished listening to or watching this episode, I'd really, really, really appreciate your comments um, in the comment section, your feedback, essentially. Again, as I say, if it's something that you enjoy, I'll keep making the show. If you don't, then no hard feelings. I'll try my best to come up with something different. Uh, but without further ado, then let's get into the first ever episode of the debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hey, everybody. Um, let's say a few hellos because there's lots of you, lots of you uh, in the live chat with me already, which is great to see. Uh, Chloe Lewis asked a little bit earlier on, is there no 90 min podcast today? There is. Um, we normally do it live at 11 a.m., but today we're doing it at 4 p.m. just because uh, our producer uh, had to go off on another shoot. Um, something that was really, really time sensitive that we couldn't change. It was with talent and it couldn't be moved. So we had to jig around the time of the show. But I can tell you this from now, it's going to be a good one because we're going to break down everything that happened in the Premier League this weekend. Uh, we're going to do some of that here, but make sure you check out the 90 Min Show a little bit later on as well. Um, Jordi Guna says, uh, buzzing to see a midday pod on my day off work. Good to hear, mate. Um, Rizo says... 
Uh, personally, I prefer a Premier League roundup. We will focus on the Premier League. We're going to cover the Premier League and all the big stories from it. Uh, but there are some things that I want to touch on from the European game as well uh, this weekend. So we'll do a bit of both. We'll keep everybody uh, happy. Uh, what else have we got in the live chat? We've got a Canadian Guna uh, joining us in uh, Matthew Feralto. Hope you're good, mate. Um, Paritos says, I hope Scott is not missing. Scott will be there today. Don't worry. And uh, Tom says, uh, liking the idea of a general PL and European roundup. Thank you so much. Well, if you like the idea, you haven't heard the show yet, so you might still not like it. But if you like the idea, then please do uh, leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you're brand new. But of course, there's only one place to start, and that is the Premier League, the English Premier League, as it's known around the world. Um, let's kick off then with a roundup of the weekend's key results. It all started this week with Friday night football. That lot down the road continued their excellent start to the season, winning at Selhurst Park and temporarily extending their lead at the top of the league to five points. The early kickoff on Saturday saw Chelsea take on Brentford at Stamford Bridge, a game that I covered, a game that I worked on, and the Bees became the first side to win their first three visits to Stamford Bridge in Premier League history. Now, the problem's continue for Maurizio Pochettino. Bournemouth uh, defeated Burnley and Doni Iriola's side picking up their first win of the season in what was already being dubbed as a relegation six-pointer. Just 10 games in. That tells you all you need to know about people's expectations around those two clubs. Everton won at West Ham courtesy of Dominic Calvert-Lewin's 50th Premier League goal. Newcastle were held to a draw at Wolves despite getting a dubious penalty and Brighton dropped points at home to Fulham. European hangovers they are a thing. Liverpool and Aston Villa had comfortable victories over Nottingham Forest and Luton Town, respectively, ahead of the Manchester derby, which we're going to kick off with uh, in a little bit of detail in just a moment. Of course, Arsenal running out 5-0 winners against Sheffield United. And we're going to park the Arsenal chat and we're going to do it a little bit later on because Arsenal are being linked with a couple of midfielders again, who we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show. Um, if you want a full review, the full download on Arsenal's victory, over Sheffield United, then uh, check out the last video on the channel, the last podcast, if you're a listener on the feed, and you'll get my full breakdown of that game. But we got to start with Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United. Is Eric Ten Hag the right man for Manchester United? Now, obviously, looking at this through an Arsenal lens, I hope he stays forever because I, I watch him week in, week out. I watch his team I cannot for the life of me work out or understand what it is that they're trying to do. I don't think that they are um, moving in the right direction. I think that they've regressed at the start of this season. And obviously, you know, the first thing people point to is injuries, 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 injuries. The entire Premier League is suffering from this injury epidemic, if you like, you know, and, and a lot of us believe that that's down to the fact that, you know, we've really put a lot of strain on these players Um over the last couple of years, the World Cup in the winter, the, the whole COVID thing messed up the calendar, meant everything had to be kind of squashed together and the schedule became really gruelling. It's already a difficult schedule. We're one of the only leagues in world football that has two domestic cups. There are a couple of others, I think, but it's just mad to me that we still have that. Um, you know, the, the fact that we've got more European places now because there are more European competitions, in my opinion, was the was the perfect excuse to scrap the League Cup, the Carabao Cup. Now, 
I don't remember Arsenal ever winning the Carabao Cup. So for me, I'd quite like to see us win it. But is it anywhere near the top of my priority list? Absolutely not. But we've got to talk about Manchester United because, you know, for all the talk around the ownership and, and all that chat is valid, of course. I think there are problems on the pitch that can be attributed to Eric Ten Hag and his methods and the job that he's doing. I don't think he is the man to restore former glories at Manchester United. Now, United fans might disagree. You know, I've, I, I feel like the United fan base at the moment, just judging by what I see on social media and people I speak to, is kind of divided down the middle here. There are some that look at it and go, well, the structure from the very top is broken. Therefore, how can any manager succeed? And so they're cutting Eric Ten Hag a little bit of slack because of the fact that they've watched Oli uh, go through the same thing. They watched Mourinho um, struggle. They watched Louis van Gaal struggle. All very experienced managers, with the exception of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Ralph Ragnick came in. You know, he he said that the club needed open heart surgery at the time. So there is a lot of sort of justification in that argument in saying that, look, hold on, the structure at the very top is broken. Therefore, how can you expect anybody to succeed? But some of the decisions that Eric Ten Hag has made and is making are just wild, in my opinion. And I'm going to explain why. I mean, I listened to Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville going on about this yesterday. And and Gary Neville was like, well, you know, Sir Jim Ratcliffe's coming in. And that means that there's almost this cloud looming over Old Trafford at the moment, whereby the staff don't know if they'll be there in a few weeks time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I get that. But, you know, football is a very volatile industry, right? You can lose your job at the drop of a hat. I think everybody's working under pressure in that sense, in terms of needing to produce results or else. I think that's just part and parcel of the, the business. And if you're professional, that shouldn't weigh on your mind. You know, the flip side that Jamie Carragher was arguing was that, but put all that to one side. Where is the style of football? Where is the justification for the signing of players that Eric Ten Hag pushed really, really hard for? And that the club went mad on to get in terms of the price they were willing to pay just to appease their man. Where is the justification for those signings? The majority of them have been awful. The majority of them have been poor. And therefore, Eric Ten Hag has to take some responsibility. Now, I'm going to run you through a list, right, that I came across on social media um, earlier today. Hold on. You know what? I might be able to. Let me see if I can find it. Um, on Twitter. And if I can, I'll share the clip with you. One second. Uh, Man United major up as major signings. I'll see if I can find it and I can bring it on the screen. If I can't, then I will just um, then I'll just read the list to you. Uh, was it United ten, uh, major signings or was it Ten Hag major signings? Hold on. Let's see if we can find the image that I'm looking for. Um, no. I can't find it off the top of my head. Don't worry about it. I'll read it to you, right? So we'll go through this. This is funny. Um, in the sense of everybody wants to pin it on, um, you know, the ownership and all the rest of it. But Eric Ten Hag has to bear some responsibility here. I want to get you guys' thoughts as well on this. Because, you know, we support a club that were going through a real transitional period. And we had to be patient with Mikel Arteta. And I think the reason a lot of us were was because we believed in what he was saying. And we believed in the progress that we were seeing, albeit slow at times. Manchester United fans surely can't be seeing any progress at this moment in time. If anything, they're going backwards. But anyway, look, 
Major signings under Eric Ten Hag from Manchester United. Anthony from Ajax, 85.4 million pounds. Isn't worth anywhere near that. In fact, his worth is so low at the moment that Eric Ten Hag, even with Jaden Sancho having to eat his lunch out of a lunchbox in the corner of the training ground, you know, he still doesn't feel that Anthony's good enough to play. Rasmus Hoyland, 72 million pounds. Now, I think Rasmus Hoyland is a talent. I really, really do. But was it a little bit too soon to put all your hopes on him? Maybe, maybe. I think he's done all right since he's come in and I think he will be a good player in time. So maybe I'm not going to be as critical of that one in particular. Casemiro, £70 million. He's played one season for Manchester United. Done relatively well in that season, although he spent a fair chunk of it suspended. And this season, his legs are gone. Mason Mount, £60 million. Again, another one that Eric Ten Hag pushed for, that Manchester United pushed for, that Manchester United paid over the odds for, brought in, and now isn't good enough, apparently, to play in one of their biggest games of the season. So what the hell was the point? Lissandro Martinez, £56 million. I think that was a decent sign-in. Andre Onana, £47.2 million. Has had one decent game, or one good game, since arriving at Man United, I would argue. Um, and that was yesterday, really. And they still lost um, by three goals to nil. Tyrell Malassia is injured. OK, Altai Bayindir, the Fenerbahce goalkeeper. And then there's a load of free transfers. Christian Eriksen, Johnny Evans, Sergio Regulon, Sofian Amrabat, Val Veghorst, Marcel Sabitza. Some of those are on loan. It's just, to me, that the business that they've done for the amount of money that they've spent is staggeringly bad. And, and I think that needs to be highlighted. Um, let's get some of you guys' thoughts uh, on this. I will um, I, I will just share a couple more points uh, that I have as well on this. Uh, Fleabeard says, their team is terrible. The only thing saving them is a total rebuild. Good times. Yeah, but a total rebuild needs to be done by the right person. And I don't think that Eric Ten Hag is the right person. Halo says, Ten Hag is actually a good manager. But I look at Manchester United as a toxic environment. It doesn't matter what you put in, players or managers, they go there to die. Look at the history. Um, what else have we got? Paritosh says, Man United fans cannot dare to contemplate that their team or manager could be substandard. When others play poorly, it's on the team. When Man United play poorly, it's on the owners. Um, I, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, Mafia Boss says, Eric Ten Hag is overrated. He's not that good. Um, Richard Bank says he hasn't made the club any better since he arrived. I think the atmosphere is toxic there. What else have we got? Um, Harambe, I knew this was going to come the minute that me saying, uh, or the minute that, you know, what's the point in spending that kind of money on someone and then not starting them in a big game? Uh, the minute that came out of my mouth, I knew that someone was going to bring that up about Kai Havertz. But Arsenal aren't in a position where they're desperate for Kai Havertz, where they were desperate to rush Kai Havertz into the fold. Arteta can, you know, rotate him, can manage his minutes, can bring him in and out of the side as he pleases. Why? Because the team are winning and the team are performing. And people don't ask questions um, of signings when the team is winning, not to the same extent, not to the same degree. And Arteta's earned the right to keep the Wolves away when it comes to that particular question because of the results that his team, as I say, are picking up. Um, so I'm going to bat that one away. Anyway, um, let's see what else we've got in the chat. Uh, Mr. Uh, Ray says, we trusted the process. The owners gave him virtually a blank sheet to clear the club out of the rubbish. Th that's the thing, though. I wouldn't give Eric Ten Hag that kind of resource because 
I just don't think he's up to the job. Let me break it down for you then uh, before we move on from this subject. What my overriding feeling is when it comes to Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United, I think anybody can lose to Manchester City the way that they did. They're that damn good. I think his decisions are getting stranger by the week. Varane left out yesterday. Maguire and Evans played at centre-back. And when Ten Hag was asked about it, he said it was tactical. And he put Lindelof at left-back. Mason Mount, as I mentioned, not good enough to start, apparently. Neither is Anthony, who cost upwards of £80 million. He took off Sofiane Amrabat at half-time, which meant that McTominay dropped back into the defensive midfield position. The defensive midfield position that we've been hearing for weeks is not Scott McTominay's best position. Weird. Stop hiding behind the Glazers. There's no playing style. There's no accountability. Um you know, being put on Eric Ten Hag for the bad signings that he's made and pushed for. And I just think that, yes, there are problems at Manchester United upstairs and things that need to be resolved and things that need to be fixed. I don't think Sir Jim Ratcliffe is going to fix all of those things, given that he's only got 25% of the club. So, you know, there needs to be more accountability from those on the pitch and those responsible for what happens on the pitch. And Eric Ten Hag is right up there. He wanted the players you know, that he wanted, you know, he pushed for those players. Therefore, those signings have to work. Otherwise, he will be held accountable. How many Arsenal fans, how many of you guys this season in the chat have said to me that Mikel Arteta will sort of, you know, will be judged upon his decision to replace Aaron Ramsdale with uh, David Raya? And he could live or die by that decision. That's what I keep hearing from Arsenal fans. I hear it all the time. and. To a degree, I, I think you've got a point. I think if, you know, David Raya messes up and it costs us dearly, then Mikel Arteta will be judged on that and he'll be criticised for that. And his decision to do that will be scrutinised and pulled apart by the fans. And, and that is fine. They'll be well within their rights to do that. So why does the same not apply for Eric Ten Hag? It, it drives me insane. Where are the standards at Manchester United to the point where they accept this? They accept turning up every week, watching their side play like Stoke. Like it's, it, To me, it's it's wild. It's wild. It really, really is. Um, we're going to move on uh, from the Manchester United chat. I'll take a few more uh, questions, uh, a few more comments. If you've got any questions on this subject, get them in nice and quickly because uh, we are going to move on in a minute. But I just want to ask you, if you haven't done so already, to please leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. Um, it really, really does help. And of course, subscribe to the channel if you are brand spanking new. Irfan Chowdhury uh, says Manchester United need to bite the bullet and do an Arteta-style rebuild from the ground up. Um, Paratosh says Casemiro, Evans and Eriksen buying for the future, he asks. And, and that's another good point as well. You know, if Manchester United were bringing in a whole bunch of young players and, and it was a little bit hit and miss and, you know, one week they were performing and the next week they weren't, which is quite common when it comes to young footballers, then I would at least say, okay, I can see what they're trying to do. Like Chelsea, right? I think Chelsea are a mess. But I look at the strategy, and although I disagree with it, because I think you need the right balance, I do feel like, okay, but at least I understand what it is that Todd Bowley and co are trying to do. Man United, uh, oh, it's awful. It really, really is. Uh, Irfan Chowdhury says that Man United need to bite the bullet and do an Arteta-style rebuild from the ground up. Um, Chris Summers says, surely it says a lot when they let De Gea go and now they are re-signing him. Are they actually re-signing him? Because I heard that rumour the other day, but I didn't think um, 
anything was going to come of that. Um, Hassan says, Ralph Ragnick said that Manchester United need open heart surgery to recover. And um, yeah, I think he's right. He's been proven right. I don't think Ralph Rangnick, for the record, was a good manager, but I think he's obviously a football man. He's built clubs up from the ground. He understands what it takes. And, you know, he kind of came in on this sort of interim basis, to almost as much to manage the team as much like also to be in there in the trenches to understand what the problems were and, and feedback so that United could go on and fix those things. Big thank you to Hassan as well. He says, congratulations on the 30K. Thank you so much. Uh, we hit 30,000 subscribers here on YouTube just the other day, which is amazing. Uh, but we've only got 50 likes on the board for this video so far. What is going on? Like, like, like. Um, also, another decision just before we move on from United. Bruno Fernandes as captain? Really? You know, that, that stunk as a decision for me in the first place. And Roy Keane said yesterday that he's the opposite of what you'd want in a captain. So that's another decision that you can put in the category of bad decisions made by Eric Ten Hag that have absolutely nothing to do with the Glazers. But anyway, uh, we're going to take a short pause. And when we come back, we're going to be talking Jude Bellingham, who starred in the Classico. Welcome back to the debrief on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, the show in which we review uh, some of the weekend's big stories through the Arsenal lens uh, that we always uh, look at stuff through. Uh, we're also going to be talking Arsenal a little bit later on in the programme. We're going to be discussing a couple of midfielders that the Gunners are being linked to, but not before we talk about El Clasico. Historically, one of the greatest games in European football. This is one that I always used to look out for on the calendar. But I'd be lying if I said in recent times I have that same enthusiasm around this game. I think La Liga on the whole is far less appealing than it was. I think the fact that it's less accessible in the UK has impacted its popularity on the UK shores. And I know that Spanish football fans will say, well, who cares what you guys think in the UK? You know, it's still as important, as big to us. And I get that. And listen, I was out in Seville earlier in the week and I experienced firsthand the, 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 the sort of brilliance of a Spanish football atmosphere and the passion that those guys have for their club. So, you know, I'm not trying to play down the Clasico, but then you add into the equation the fact that it was played away from the Camp Nou because, of course, Barcelona are playing at a temporary home uh, due to the renovation works that are going on there. And it just didn't have the same magic until, of course, Jude Bellingham got involved. Now, Ilkay Gundogan uh, opened the scoring for Barcelona six minutes in, but the hosts had more than enough chances to put the game to bed before Jude Bellingham's stunning equaliser. And to kind of back up that point that Barcelona should have been clear, I think they hit the woodwork twice after they opened the scoring. Their XG on the day was 1.55. And Real Madrid's XG was 1.07. And that's taken into consideration that Jude Bellingham's shot for the first goal was from about 25 or so yards out. So in terms of making a difference or making a mark on the XG there, it wouldn't have had that significant an impact because he shot from so far out. Um, look, Bellingham's first goal was just stunning. For those of you that have seen it, I'm sure loads of you have. Um, he rifles a shot. Uh, from the best part of 25 yards, as I say, and he gives Marc-Andre Ter Stegen absolutely no chance. And then his second goal, I mean, how clutch is this kid? Drifts into the box, gets onto the end of Carvial's cross. I think Modric got a little touch on it on its way through and he finishes it 
in stoppage time to win it for Carlo Ancelotti's side. Um, and he wheels away and does the classic Jude Bellingham celebration, the celebration that started to become iconic uh, with the young England man. It's a double for Bellingham in his uh, Classico debut. And, um, you know, it's a big old result for Real Madrid. And, you know, when you think about the way that this kid has started life at Real Madrid, okay, you're talking about someone who has got 13 goals in 13 um, games this season. 10 in 10 in La Liga and 3 in 3 in the Champions League. And actually, if you look at the La Liga table, which I'll share uh, with you guys uh, in just a second, actually, this could be quite a significant result. I don't expect Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona to drop too many points against the rest of the league. And so the fixtures between them, in that sense, become really, really important, don't they? And you just look at the table here. Real Madrid... Uh, top of La Liga on 28 points, having played 11 games. And that victory opened up a four-point lead over Barcelona, who find themselves uh, in fourth place. Look, Girona are level on points with Real Madrid. Do you expect them to keep that pace up all season? I certainly don't. Atletico Madrid, they've got a game in hand. And if they win that, they can jump up to 28 points as well. Um, so, you know, there is, you know, there is a possibility that they could thrust themselves back into the mix. As I say, I don't think Girona's pace that they've set so far, 25 goals in 11 games from them, is going to be maintained. Barcelona, though, could find themselves uh, struggling to claw that deficit back, given that the two sides only play each other twice. And as I say, there aren't that many teams in the division to take points off of the big boys at uh, this day in age. So, yeah, that could be a really, really significant um, victory, that, for Real Madrid in the context of the title race. Now, I... It, don't really want to do this on an Arsenal podcast, but I have to give credit to Harry Kane. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, go onto Twitter or X as it's known. Type in Harry Kane's goal um, against, uh, I can't even remember who it was against, but for Bayern Munich at the weekend. Hold on, let me see if I can find um, if I can find it because it was truly, truly stunning. I mean, it was unbelievable. Hold on a second. If I roll it like this, I think we'll get away with it. Bear with me a second. Uh, for those of you watching us uh, while I'm doing this, just remember, if you haven't done so already, please leave a like on the video. Um, it really, really does help. Uh, where are we going? Here we go. Harry Kane. There we go. Just take a look at this while I'm speaking. I mean, look at where he picks up the ball from. It's incredible the position he picks it up from. He's inside the centre circle. He goes full David Beckham, catches the goalkeeper off his line and just drops it. Um, over the top and into the back of the net. That's a stunning, stunning goal from Harry Kane. I hate to give him praise on this podcast, but I feel like I'm free to do so slightly more frequently now that he no longer plays for Tottenham. It certainly makes it um, a lot easier, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, uh, credit to Harry Kane because that is a really, really uh, wonderful goal. Um, the question I wanted to ask you guys uh, about Jude Bellingham, and um, you know what? I'm going to put this as a poll in the live chat. Hold on. Um, let's go. Is Bellingham, excuse my slow typing, I've only got one hand. Is Bellingham the best player in the world currently? Is he? Is Jude Bellingham the best player in the world currently? Because on current form, I can't, honestly think of anybody better 
You know, as I say, 13 goals in 13 games this season, 10 in 10 in La Liga, three out of three in the Champions League. I mean, I, I would challenge anybody in the chat to give me someone in European football right now, because European football is the pinnacle, without being disrespectful to other parts of the world. Can you think of another single player who is as good as, uh, as Jude Bellingham at this moment in time? As Hassan points out in the chat as well, you know, uh, yeah, we'd love to have him at Arsenal. Of course you would. But it was Rizo, sorry, that said he's a midfielder. Like every time I, I sort of read out that goal record, the first thing people do is go, and he's a midfielder. I know that at Real Madrid, he's been given that bit more license. You know, he's been given that freedom to get further forward and, and impact games in that sense. And I know in the past, he's played um, sort of slightly deeper roles, which have restricted his ability to make those runs as often. But I mean, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better at this moment in world football. Junior Gunner says Josie Altidori. <laughs> Or is it Altador? Is that how you say it? Altador. I think he corrected everybody once after. Um, lots of us here in England were getting it wrong. Um, Richard says Eddie. <laughs> um, well, you know, on current form, he did score a hat-trick at the weekend. Uh, a very, very good hat-trick. So, uh, yeah, I kind of have that. Uh, Paratosh says that Rodri is the best player in the world uh, for me. I think he's the most important player to any one team in the world. I, I agree with that. You look at the difference at Manchester City since he's returned. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, Harambe says that Sane is red hot at the moment. At MM uh, says, I feel like Bellingham is having a caca-like season. Certainly feels that way, doesn't it? Right, we're going to take another very, very short pause. Uh, but still to come on the debrief, we'll be talking the classic in Naples and the midfielders being linked with a move uh, to Arsenal to replace Thomas Partey, as well as some really, really unsavoury scenes in French football this weekend. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back in just a gist. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. Uh, it is The Debrief, a brand spanking new show that we'll be bringing you every Monday moving forwards. Uh, so please let me know in the comments if you are enjoying it. I'm always interested to hear from you guys because look, I won't make it if you don't enjoy it. Um, I spent quite a bit of time today just sort of preparing the structure for it and, and making sure that I'd picked out the stories that I want. There will be times where I'll miss stories across the continent and across the globe that you lot want discussed, in which case let me know uh, in the comments and I'll always make the best effort to cover as many of those as I possibly can. Plus, the debrief, we can bring it to life anytime we want. You know, there might be a big game. Uh, that we want to discuss that isn't Arsenal related. And we can, you know, focus on that and we can touch on that and we can do a special on that, maybe sort of shortly after the event ends. There's loads and loads we can do with this. But let me be clear, nothing's changing with regards to the Arsenal content that you get. You're still going to get the same amount. You're still going to get the previews, the match reviews, all the news bits, uh, all the specials, all the features. You're still going to get all of that. This is in addition um, because... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling great about where this podcast is headed and um, and I want to put more time into it. I want to put more effort into it. So uh, why not? Um, Matthew says, I know it's not European football, but our local club won their fourth league title in five years with an Olympico in the 112th minute. What club is that, mate? Let me know. And we'll give him a special shout out, of course. Uh, but right, let's uh, turn our attention to events in Italy because a thriller took place in Naples. Uh, last night. It finished Napoli 2, AC Milan 2. 
one of the best games of football you'll watch all season in terms of entertainment value. I thought it was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, 37-year-old Olivier Giroud arrived at the Maradona Stadium yesterday, having not scored in any of Milan's last six Serie A fixtures. As Arsenal fans, we know all how frustrating that can be, those uh, Giroud, um, albeit mini, gold droughts. We experienced a few of those, didn't we, during his time at Arsenal. There was one, I think, that was like 12, 15 games that was really frustrating. Um, but I found myself this time when I kind of read that stat and when it was being made a big deal of in the build-up to the game, cutting him a bit of slack. And you know why? Because the guy is 37 years old. And to think he's still playing at this level, but also is still such an important part of a prominent European side is, is amazing. It really, really is. He was a bit of a late bloomer, Olivier Giroud, in terms of his career on the whole. Um, but he's in a place now where he's so important to Milan. And, um, you know, I think he's one of those players that has been criminally underrated um, over the years. Really, really has. Um, look, and he's four years older than me, right? So if you're four years older than me and I feel old and you're doing that, then fair bloody play to you, man. Uh, because, yeah, I, I just think he's been he's been superb. And of course, uh, with it being such a, a big talking point pregame, he was always going to score, wasn't he? And he ended up scoring twice in the first half an hour with two trademark Olivier Giroud goals. And so at the break, the Rossonieri led by two goals to nil and were seemingly on their way to a big, big win. But the second half started in just four minutes in. Matteo Politano uh, showed some brilliant footwork down the right-hand side, cutting onto that left foot of his and rifled into the roof of the net to half the deficit. And all of a sudden, it was game on. Now, I have to say, at halftime, I was, I was watching this game, right? So yesterday, I had a football marathon. I sat down. Um, I watched the second half of West Ham against Everton. I watched all of the Manchester derby. Um, then I went split screen towards the end of it for uh, Inter-Roma uh, at the same time. And then afterwards, I watched Napoli-Milan. And I watched it up until halftime. And, you know, my, my wife came into the room. She'd finished putting the kids to bed. And, you know, everything was set. And, you know, it was it was relaxed time. It was chill time in the Simiu household. And she said, should we watch a film? And I said, do you know what? This feels like it's, it's done. This feels like this result is heading towards, you know, a Milan victory. I don't know that Napoli have got anything left in the tank. I don't know that this Napoli team really believe in, uh, in Rudy Garcia. And so, you know what? Maybe we should. Maybe we should put on a film. Maybe I should concede here. Maybe I should um, sort of give up my uh, TV time and uh, and we can watch something together. And then I had a, a last minute change of heart. And by God, I'm so glad I did because I would have missed it. I would have missed uh, the comeback. I, I, it's it's wild. And if you're wondering, did I actually say all those things to my missus about, you know, the players maybe not believing in Rudy Garcia and all of that? I did. Um, she'll testify to that. I did. Let me just pull this blind down a little bit because it is blinding me now. Um, yeah, I did. I spoke to her about Rudy Garcia. She looked at me with a face of bemusement. Who the hell is that? And um, and in the end, she had to settle for the second half. We did watch a film afterwards and then we ended up staying up too late and we were both absolutely shattered this morning. But hey, it happens. Um, and yeah, I was right to do so because on 63 minutes, Giacomo Raspadori drove in a free kick to level it. It was 2-2 with 27 minutes to go in the game. Very, very finely poised at that point. In the end, as I say, it ended as a draw. 
And in the end, I think that Napoli will be the happier of the two sides. Of course, having come from behind, you know, you're certainly going to be happier with um, the result and the outcome than the side that we're leading 2-0. Um, you know, you could argue that a draw away at, um, you know, at the Maradona is, is a good result for Milan as well. But just from the position they were in, I think they'll be gutted that it, it didn't work that way. But just to kind of build on the point that I sort of half made there, Rudy Garcia, he's come in and, in my opinion, taken on the impossible job. To replace somebody like Spalletti, who's just guided Napoli to their first Scudetto since the Diego Armando Maradona days, is an incredibly difficult job to take, huge shoes to fill, and there was no chance, in my opinion, that he was going to come in and have it all his own way from the beginning and that Napoli were going to be as strong as they were last season. So I kind of expected a bit of a drop-off. Now, some would argue that the drop-off has been more than it should have been. And if you look at the league table, you know, they're they're only in fourth. You know, okay, they are seven points off the top at this moment in time, but they're only in fourth. It's not like they're mid-table. It's not like they're you know, having a disaster of a season. It's not like they're Ajax, who are bottom of the Eredivisie. It's not like they're Lyon, who are bottom of Ligue 1 in France. It's none of that. It's just the drop-off from champions level, which I think was always going to come. And if you had any doubt about whether or not the players are fighting for Rudy Garcia, then I think you only need to watch that second half last night. I'm not saying it's brilliant. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that Napoli fans aren't within their rights to question whether Garcia is the man to take them forward. But to me, it, it, it isn't as bad as as some would have you believe. Um, and I think yesterday kind of highlighted that as well. Um, there were incredible scenes in another Serie A game, which I just want to touch on now. Inter-Roma was a bit of a damp squib in terms of the quality of the game. I didn't enjoy it too much, to be honest with you. Um, I guess the, the biggest attraction was trying to figure out how... Um, or, or, or not attraction, the biggest intrigue going into the game was around how Romelu Lukaku was going to cope with the hostile reception that he was going to get from the Inter fans who armed themselves with whistles to try and make it really, really difficult for him. Um, but yeah, but the, the, the other game that really sort of stood out in Serie A yesterday was Cagliari against Frosinone. Now you might be thinking, what the hell does he want to talk about that game for? Frosinone were 4-0 uh, sorry, 3-0 up. I beg your pardon. They were 3-0 up after 49 minutes. And somehow they lost. Claudio Ranieri's Cagliari somehow turned it around. Um, they scored on 72, on 76. The equaliser came on 94. And then on 96 minutes, Pavoletti uh, found the back of the net again. Uh, this time, though, to give them all three points. Uh, Di Francesco, the manager of Frosinone, he'll be very disappointed, but Claudio Ranieri, a familiar face, one who's um, got a bit of a, a history, hasn't he, of uh, pulling off miracles, managing to do so again yesterday. So that was an, in, an insane game. Check out the highlights on YouTube if you haven't uh, seen it already. Um, Matthew's uh, local side, Forge FC Hamilton, congratulations to them. Uh, fourth league title in five years. Congrats. With a 112th minute goal. There you go. That's quite the story. That is quite the story. Uh, there's a couple of questions coming through, which I'll highlight and I'll come back to uh, in a little bit. Um, Amira says, I hope your marriage is still going strong. 
listen, Mrs. Simiu is uh, is well aware of um, the fact that football is it's right up there. I'm not going to say it comes completely first, but it's right up there. She might be listening. No, she won't. She never listens. She doesn't even know what we do. Um, but yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's fine for now. Um, I don't know how many of those kind of teases I can get away with, though. You know, saying, yeah, actually, and then sort of backtracking. I think next time I need to think longer and harder before I give any form of response. And that prevents uh, any issues like that occurring. Right, we're going to take another very, very short pause. And when we come back, we're going to talk about those unsavory scenes in France. You must have seen it. Fabio Grosso uh, injured by some absolute morons um, who, I guess, pretend, claim to be Marseille supporters. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just nuts. It's just nuts, isn't it? Um, we'll come on to that in a second. And then we're going to talk about the two midfielders that Arsenal are being linked with again. Um, they're familiar names for for the uh, record, but we'll get on to that. And I'll share some thoughts on those links as well in just a couple of minutes. Uh, remember, leave a like, subscribe. You know the draw by now. I'll be back in just a second. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. You are listening to The Debrief, our brand new Monday show on which we'll be uh, discussing all the big stories from the Premier League. But we'll also uh, go around Europe and pick out some of the best stories and uh, highlighting some of the key games and how they went down. Um, if there's anything that you want to see done differently, let me know. Uh, if you're enjoying it, please let me know in the comments after the show uh, so that I can go back and read them and take any feedback of yours on board. Right. Uh, Fabio Grosso, the Leon boss, of course, Italian World Cup winning fullback, um, took on the job at Leon a little while ago. It's a difficult job. I'm not sure how long he's going to be in it for uh, because of the way things are going for him. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, really tough time. But um, even worse than what's happening on the pitch was what happened off the pitch yesterday. Now, look away if you don't like seeing blood, because this is a really, really uh, squeamish image. Um, Olympic Marseille were due to take on Olympic Lyonnais uh, at their Stade Velodrome yesterday. And um, the game had to be called off after the Lyon coach was attacked by Marseille supporters who were throwing stones at it. Look at some of these images. Um, here's here's a video, if you just check this out, of uh, the bus arriving after the attacks. Look at this. Look at the windows. They're all smashed. Look at that. It is absolutely crazy that this happens. The players eventually made their way off the bus. Here's a video of some of the attacks actually taking place. This was awful. Look at them. Absolute hooligans. It is mad. Um, Fabio Grosso, as we understand it, had to have 13 stitches around his eye. Look at that. It's horrible. You know, thankfully, there's no lasting damage done there but i mean as a manager that's that's got to be horrible look at that disgusting uh, for those of you that are watching on youtube i'm showing the images of of uh, of course uh, fabio grosso after the event this is a picture of him uh, today um and you can just see you know sometimes when you see these images and there's blood everywhere you think oh my god he's been cut in multiple places it's clear that the damage was done above his left eye um, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it okay. But, you know, it looks like he's going to make a full recovery, maybe with the exception of a couple of scars, but could have been a lot worse. But this is just mental. And like, how is this stuff still happening in this day and age? Like, you know, we see, 
I love European football, right? And I love some of the culture around it. And I love the idea of ultras. And I love the ideas of, you know, really sort of partisan, loyal support that will go to any length to, to give their team those little advantages. But only when it's done within reason, only when it's done right, and only when it's done fair. And to see things like this occur drives me mental. Like, who of those fans? Like, these should be the games that you look forward to. You should turn up looking forward to that game. And 65 or 1,000 people that were due to be at that game were robbed of the opportunity to watch the game of football. The players were robbed of the opportunity of participating in one of French football's biggest matches because of a bunch of idiots who decided to attack the Lyon coach as it arrived. We see coaches being attacked all the time, but not to this degree. This is way, way, way um, over the top. This is crossed the line. And actually, although the game was abandoned, I don't know, as far as I'm aware at the moment, if Lee Gunn have, have sort of dished out any type of punishment. Um, but for me, what needs to happen and what should happen is that Marseille should be um, disqualified from the game. Leon should be handed a 3-0 victory, in my opinion. They could do with that right now, looking at their league position. And then, um, you know, the, the French football authorities need to take a bit of time to sit down and figure out what kind of punishment is sufficient off the back of an incident this severe. So, um, yeah, I, I think that this is one that you're not going to hear the end of uh, for a little while, and rightly so, because it's a serious, serious thing. And um, and it needs to be um, it, it needs to be dealt with. It really, really does. OK, um, let's turn our attention to Arsenal. I know that's what you've all been waiting for. Uh, we're going to discuss a couple of midfield players, but I'm going to take a couple of questions actually first before we do that. Let's take this one from Junior Gunner. Random. Who is the most cockney person you've met since being involved in football media? Oh. There's a few. Um do you know who I think is really, really cockney? I know he played for the Republic of Ireland and I know he went and played football out in France. But Tony Cascarino, um, who used to play for Chelsea, I think. Yeah, Chelsea um, and Marseille and various others. He is so cockney. Um, I, I do some radio shows with him sometimes on Sunday mornings on the Talk Sport weekend breakfast. He's there with Natalie Sawyer and I sometimes pop in for half an hour and do the um, the paper review. Tony Cascarino's up there. Uh, Lee Judges is quite cockney as well. Junior Gunner points him out um, in the chat box. Yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Uh, there really, really is. Um, Fatality DMB says, YouTube are seriously putting ads on live videos now. They are. Um, they are. I need to go in and manually turn them off. Um, and I've forgotten to do that ahead of this video. So I do apologize for that. I know that they put them in after the videos. Um, but yeah, they have started putting them in on live videos. And um, unless you go in and manually turn them off, which I haven't done, obviously, and my apologies for that, then uh, you will get them pop up from time to time. So um, yeah, I'll make a, a, a note to make sure that I do that before the stream starts next time. Cheers. Um, yeah, that, that, he's he's up there, Lee Judges, of course, <laughs> as well. Uh, my good friend. Uh, Matthew says, uh, Andre's being linked to Arsenal and Liverpool. How do you rate him? Of course, talking about the Brazilian midfielder. To be honest with you, mate, I don't know um, that much about him. Uh, he's someone that I need to look into. He's someone that I need to do a bit of a deep dive into. And um, we are, uh, by request, going to uh, do a video with regards to the midfielders that could replace Thomas Partey uh, come the summer. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. I'm going to spend a bit of time studying a few players. I think I'll pick three or four and really go deep on them. Um, and he's one that we will look into. 
um, because at this moment in time, I'd be lying to you if I said I knew loads about him. And rather than sit here and pretend that I do and put a load of shit out there that people are going to say, oh, yeah, Harry said this, whatever. I, I'm just going to I'm just going to swerve it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, OK, let's get on to the Arsenal chat then, because the Gunners are being linked um, with uh, a couple of midfield players. Names that we've heard before uh, when it comes to Arsenal. The first one being the Real Sociedad midfielder, uh, Martin Zubimendi. Now, um, he is someone that Arteta likes. That's no secret. You know, we know that Arsenal have inquired about Zubimendi's availability in the past. We know that Arsenal have tried to tempt him away from La Real. We know that the Gunners um, would like to get this player in at some point. Now, the problem that we've had in the past is that we've been able to kind of get past Real Sociedad, but we've not necessarily been able to convince him that Arsenal is the right move for him. And I don't think it's because he doesn't like what we're doing and he doesn't fancy a move to the Premier League. I just think he's super, super committed to Real Sociedad. And on top of that, at 24 years old, he probably doesn't feel a desperate need to make a move perhaps too soon that could lead to his career going a little bit off the rails, as has happened to so many players that have come from sort of major European leagues, standout players in those leagues, coming to the Premier League, very different style, not in the right environment, not in the right team. And in the end, you know, they end up kind of just disappearing. You know, you think about Donny van der Beek is a great example of that. You know, star for Ajax, comes into Manchester United, disappears off the face of the earth. There's so many players that you can put into that category over the years. He's just one of the first that, that came to mind. So, yeah. Um, I think that Arsenal like him. I think that Arteta likes him. I expect Arsenal to try again in terms of trying to lure him to the football club as the Thomas Partey replacement, perhaps, potentially. But this is where I've got a little bit of an issue um, with uh, with Martin Zubimendi. I think technically he is brilliant. He is superb. But in terms of his size and his physical profile, I wonder if he is the right option for us. He's five foot nine. And when you compare the fact that, you know, Thomas Partey is six foot plus, it's quite a drop off in size. And I know that size isn't everything. That sounded wrong. I shouldn't have said that, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, and I know that, you know, you get a lot of players that are very tenacious and and that is no issue for them as a result of that. And, and you know, we've seen that over the years. But you also get situations where it turns out a little bit like Lucas Torreira did where you can have all the tenacity in the world, but you just can't compete to the same level if you're not physically built in a certain way, particularly in that position. One of the things I worry about when there's no parte and when we've gone with Jorginho is that if people really want to put it on him physically, I don't think he can cope with that. And he's been okay because he's had Declan Rice alongside him, who is an absolute beast. And that's why Declan Rice is so perfect for the sixth and, sixth and the eighth position because he can do both of those things so well. And he has the build to not be uncomfortable and not be dominated anywhere on the park. I don't know about Zubimendi in that sense, but as I say, no doubt about his technical level. And again, when we uh, do a little bit of a breakdown as to who's a good fit, who's not, um, he will be included in that and we'll do a little bit more studying into his profile and try and figure out um, whether or not um, he's the one for us. The other name that we've been linked to in the same piece, by the way, uh, put out by the Mirror, is Real Madrid's Aurelien Chouameni. Now, he is 
someone who's just picked up an injury, which doesn't bode well for right now. But he's a player that we've been linked with quite a bit again in the past. Um, not always a starter at Real Madrid, but a big part of the squad, a key part of the squad and someone that Carlo Ancelotti rates a lot. I don't have much hope in Arsenal getting this one over the line or being able to convince a Real Madrid to sell, but then B him to come as well, because why would you leave Real Madrid? I, I heard Tom Canton say earlier today, and he's right. But I do think that Carlo Ancelotti could leave Real Madrid come the summer. And I think there are a lot of players there at this moment in time that see him as a father figure, see him as a key figure, and would probably be at least more open to leaving should he move on, which, as I say, I think is going to happen in the not too distant future. So, um, yeah, could be one to look at a little bit later down the line. But of course, we will see. Right, guys, uh, thank you so, 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 so much for joining me on this first ever episode of The Debrief here on the Chronicles of Aguna. Let me know if you enjoyed it. Um, let me know what you thought of it. Let me know what could be better, um, what you liked, what you didn't like, etc., etc. We'll be back with another one of these Monday, as long as you don't all kill it in the comments. Uh, <laughs> uh, but don't worry, the Arsenal content isn't stopping. In fact, we're going to up it. There's going to be more. Um, so make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you leave a like on the video and all the rest of it. I just feel like I need a home for non-Arsenal football chat. Like I did in the past set up a YouTube channel, built it up to like, I think we got like 1.4K subscribers come over from here to there. Um, and it just, it, I just never had the time to keep sitting down and, and putting the videos together and putting them out. And then, you know, you get disheartened because there aren't the views and there aren't, there isn't the interaction and it's not comparable to this, you know, the what we do here on the Chronicles of Aguna. So I figured if we could do a show that kind of kept the Arsenal stuff at the forefront, um, you know, you know, was focused on other bits, but always through the Arsenal lens, which I'm sure we all look through then I thought that that could be quite a decent uh, little piece of content and an idea and something that we can run with on a weekly basis. So um, let me know what you guys uh, think. Big thank you um, for all your kind words as well in the live chat. Um, Tom says, uh, good show. See you for the next. Uh, Hassan says, enjoyed it as always. Thank you, sir. And Nicholas says, loved it, Harry. Thank you, guys. I will see you all very, very soon. Until next time, uh, take care. You've been listening to The Debrief. We'll be back tomorrow with our big match preview show because it's Arsenal versus, or West Ham, I should say, versus Arsenal on Wednesday. The return of Declan Rice to his former club. We'll build up to that one on tomorrow's episode of the podcast. Stay tuned. 